Yo. Good evening. Good morning. How are you, man? Good. Good. Just how's going back the, from Formula how's One. How, yeah, because you forgot your damn AirPods, man. Yeah. I find I no know. pleasure, I, by the way, in Formula One. Just a heads up. You're not missing on anything. Yeah, I mean, the cars It's go, the lamest sports. They go fast, and they, then they're gone. And you can't really watch it if you're actually in person, but it's a lot of fun if you get in the paddock and do the pit, pit walks and all that stuff. So if you have access, it's a pretty fun sport. Yeah, but the, the, the crypto community is obsessed with Formula One. It's like every time someone wants to meet me, it's either some crypto event or Formula One. And um, obviously, I've, I've never said yes to Formula One. Or they do. Did you end up going there for a while? Or? No, I was there for like an hour. Tomorrow, I'm going, uh, tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm going for the uh, qualifying. Should be fun. But was it was it all worth it? Honestly, was the trip worth it? Yeah, the trip's been amazing, actually. Um, uh, like I said, kind of the last few days, it's nice to be reinvigorated and re-energized and sort of re-inspired on everything that's happening because it's easy if you're in the United States to just become exceptionally down on crypto, depressed, think that what's happening there is reflected everywhere else in the world, and then you come here and it's this conference is twice as big as it was last year while conferences in the U.S. are a third of the size that they were. There's a thousand projects being built, amazing people who are energized and excited about things. So you just don't get that vibe in the United States literally at all. But ignore the vibe. Like I haven't gone to events in a long time. Ignore the vibe. The numbers reflect what's happening in the U.S. and that's the numbers globally, the amount of money flowing into the space. Like I think today we've had massive outflows out of crypto. I think it was like 55 billion. I have to get the number for this month. I'll, I'll look. Let me look at the agenda again. Um, but then if you look at, I think it's here. But and then if you look at, we've talked about the VC funding in the ecosystem has just dropped um, uh, to lows that haven't been seen since 2008. Um, so then my thoughts, there's $55 billion of crypto outflows in August. So the numbers kind of paint a similar picture to what we're seeing in the West. So how is the East so out of touch? Because we've obviously had, we've had Yatsu um, make this argument a few times on the show. But in your mind, why do you think there is that disconnect? I, I really don't know because I was under the impression that all those numbers are correct. And once again, you come out here and you ask people if they're raising and they say, no, I've already raised. We got the money easily. It took 24 hours. It took 48 hours. The same kind of story that we saw during the bull market. And seemingly all of the VCs out here are deploying pretty heavily. I don't know. I think in the United States, you're pretty limited in what you even could deploy into if you're a VC. And people, I, I can't tell you where that disconnect is because it doesn't seem like on the ground those numbers are correct. I mean, the outflows, obviously, those are... Uh, different, but I, I don't really buy the VC numbers anymore. You see, listen, you see a ton of deal flow, right? I mean, you see Correct. projects being funded. You talk to people every single day. It's not like the bull market where 30, you know, uh, horrid white papers are coming across your, your desk, but you're seeing actual things that are being built that are looking for funding. People are deploying. You know, I was talking to Gorov, one of your best friends, obviously. He's like, I did five deals today. <laughs> you know so yeah Gorov Gorov I don't know what happened with Gorov Gorov only changed his, his whole sentiment changed the last couple of weeks like from doing nothing to suddenly doing too many a week it's like every week is higher than the last yeah I think maybe, maybe he's, that's I thought he's an anomaly maybe we're looking at lagging data you know uh, when you see a VC deploying you, you can't really see what's happening today and I think that whether the, it's fair or not I think there is a sentiment not saying the crowd would be right that you know a year from now things will be great doesn't mean that that's accurate. But if people are starting to actually believe that collectively, I'm not surprised that they're starting to buy now, thinking that they might be near the bottom. Okay, that's good news. Um, and we've got a pretty pretty killer panel. Let me see who's up on stage already. We've got Gareth and Mike. We're waiting for Crown Capital to come up as well. We just sent them through an invite just to kind of balance it out. We need someone bullish. But Mike and Gareth are here to kind of tame your bullishness, uh, Scott. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> you know, and let me also go ahead. No, I'm, I'm laughing because actually Mike, Gareth, and I having nothing to do with the fact they're on Spaces today. In a, I guess it'll be a week. In a week, or starting a new show on Thursdays, and uh, it's going to depress people. I think. 
You're saying a new show, a YouTube show, you mean? Yeah, a, a YouTube show collectively uh, called Market Mavericks. We can talk about it. It's going to be uh, like at the uh, at the daily close of the market on, on Thursday. Just talk about what happened. But who's who's? Oh no, who, who's gone there? Mike is going to be there. Who else? Mike and Gareth and myself and having nothing. Yeah, to man. Do with you, the fact no, no, you got to no, 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 no. Yeah, that's not fair at all. You do have someone. You need someone to balance it out. You need someone a bit. We need a, like a rant type person to say no. We're in a raging bull market and we're very close to hitting all that. We need someone like that. Um, so you need to balance it out, bro. Well, we'll we'll draw straws each each episode, and one of us has to be the bull that episode. I can be the bull. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but you're not good at it. Like I know you try, but it's not working. Um, at least I'm not sold. Um, but you mean that's... being being ir- being irrational and and emotional? This this isn't my style. <laughs> <laughs> you're too you're too rational right now. Um, but no, Gareth, like let, let's kick it off. Eric is here, so you need someone like Eric on, on the show, Scott, to balance it out, uh, to talk about the quad witching thing. Which I, when you first said it, I thought it was a joke, and then I realized it's actually a thing. Um, but but Gareth, let's kick it off. Like we, we had Scott tell us the the good news. And by the way, while we're going doing this, the trailer for the show that we've been talking about for a long time, the Killer Whales show, the reality TV show, the Shark Tank, uh, it's out. So if you want to check it out, it's, a, it's I think a minute and a half. Just check the pinned tweet above. Um, again, you'll see why we've been praising the production for so long. Uh, the trailer speaks for itself. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Gareth, uh, Eric, I'm sending you an invite. You just dropped out. But Gareth, tell us more. Like, why? Uh, what's your stance first? I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. What is your stance? Uh, do, you, do you agree with the sentiment in the East or the West? Oh, wow. So, I mean, I mean, I think overall the the positive bullish sentiment is that long-term view, right? So again, you know, for me, I'm a trader, so I focus on the near term. It's it's being in and out and finding supports and resistances to trade. But but ultimately, like I've said, and, and we've talked about this in the last week or so, is that, you know, even the grayscale news, and even though that didn't cause a sustainable rally in, in crypto, and, and we saw the same thing with the Ripple news, it's all fundamentally building. So again, I agree that that in the in the East you know, things are building. Thing, this is going places, and this is going to be epically huge, and it's going to continue it. It's just price doesn't always reflect that, right? That's the five-year outlook. That's the 10-year outlook. People right now are saying, oh, my goodness, there's less money in my pocket because I, I've spent it down from COVID, and therefore I can't buy into as much Bitcoin as I want, and therefore there's just not as many buyers. It's just, you know, it's really just a law of numbers right now. So, again, you'll get the, the ETFs approved eventually, whether it's October or later, um, and eventually Bitcoin, I think, goes a lot higher it's just in the near term this is this is where you know you can't get scared you just have to kind of hunker down and have a dca mentality and i think that the question is not about if it's more of when um so again i know you said this before uh, gareth in previous shows but tell us again like when do you think the the so what ran and scott talked about a week ago which i really liked is like we will see price action for more the positive news but we'll all come at once as we saw in 2000 2020 after the um uh, 2018 2019 uh, uh, bear market so when do you think we will see that price action in your opinion gareth wow that's a that's a great question so again to me it's more of a question of when the fed starts really aggressively having to lower interest rates and maybe add doing monetary easing again um and printing money so so again the question is you know we we all thought early this year that well not everyone but the the consensus was that the fed would later this year start lowering rates and we know that's off the table now so uh, you know then it was the first couple months of 2024 and that's off the table and now it's looking like second half so at some point the economy cracks and when that happens and the printing presses are forced to be turned on and and they will i mean the the new right now they're saying two percent we we want two percent inflation but it's a moving target i guarantee it is when things get bad enough they'll be like oh three okay that's okay and and that's going to be when it is and my guess is it's second half of of 2024 and the indicators you're looking for are twofold number one is ppi cpi which obviously ppi came out yesterday uh, above expectations and CPI is not looking too good either. We saw the ECB raise rates yesterday or today. Um, so the first one is looking at the, the, the inflation data. And then the second one is looking at the economy cracking. So if the longer it takes for inflation to tame or for the economy to start showing cracks, the longer it, it, it will take for the, uh, the Fed to start easing. Is that is that fair? Yeah, very fair. And I think for the economy, for me right now, it's jobs, right? So the jobs numbers have been amazingly strong and they continue to be, you know, people filing for unemployment yesterday was 
dead, dead at the lows again. Um, so once that cracks, once we see people go negative, that number go negative on the non-farm payrolls on a monthly basis, I think that's when you start to see the beginning change in the Fed, where the Fed is totally on the sidelines. And then as it gets worse, the the, ch- the chances of them starting to cut at some point increase dramatically. Um, let's get Mike's thoughts on this. And Scott, feel free to jump in as well. But Mike, um, the same questions I asked Gareth, would love your take. And then we'd love to go to Eric afterwards. Um, I, this to me is, it's the, I like to focus on the, obviously the macro. And the key thing, my key takeaway from all the data this week is um, I updated my latest big, uh, big economic reset outlook. I did one for August. I'm going to do it for September. I just sent it to editorials and be coming out tomorrow. And the key focus about what happened with retail sales and inflation this week is retail sales in this country, less inflation are negative for the most significant period since the great financial crisis. So that is... You have to, it's, it's the distortions of this inflation. It's the distortion of this elongated period of negative interest, zero interest rates and now this big spike that I think the market is just starting to figure out that um, this is the train wreck that's coming. So we saw the ECB raise rates last week. And if you look what's happening in, in, in Europe, retail sales in Europe, ex-inflation are negative at the deep, it's about 2%, the deepest, that's the most significant since around 2009, since the depth of the financial crisis. And they just raised rates right above the peak when they did that in Q3, 4, 2008. And then they had to start cutting right away. So that's a train wreck that if you follow the rules of economics is an issue. And also, if you look at in Europe, PMIs are all negative. So I look at the data here in the US and then I look at leading ind- economic indicators. That data goes back 100 years and has a 100% probability of picking out it, um, recessions, and it's still negative. Leading in the economic indicators are still about minus 8%. Um, and so I look at this as sometimes you get a lot of noise. Sometimes markets can re- remain irrational. I love this quote from Jesse Livermore reminding me yesterday that markets will do what it should do, but not always when. And to me, that's what's happening now. So now we're seeing this little spike in crude oil. So look at the price of crude oil right now. It's it's boosting inflation. It's keeping the Fed vigilant to, to hike rates. They still have their trigger figure on hiking rates at the November meeting, if you look at Fed fund futures. And, you know, someday it will get easing. But the price of crude oil right now was first traded in 2007. Um, if you look at the same period in gold, it's up 150%. So that's a market that only matters when it spikes. It gets everybody excited and it tilts markets into recession. That's what it did in 2008. It spiked. It got everybody excited. It produced that the peak in PPI in 2008 was, was plus 9.9%. That was in July. And the low this year is minus 3.1%. Yet the Fed is still hiking. So I see the data this week. I see the stock market rising as part of the last gas that you typically get before recession. The stock market usually doesn't start going down until the recession starts. And you don't, don't know that till later. The Fed doesn't start easing until well after that. In this case, they won't. But the data this week shows what I've been fearful for over a year, the biggest economic reset of a lifetime, just kicking in. And I look over at cryptos, not so much cryptos, Bitcoin. They, you know, the, we all know the alts have this major speculation that probably still needs to be purged. And all this bullish data that we spoke about early in, in Bitcoin, it should be making it go up, but it's not. To me, that's part of that big picture tilt. So I, I, I look at this, okay, what's going to change this narrative? And I don't see how time makes it better because the, the effect of the rate hikes are still far from really being affected in the market. And I think it's what Gareth said right at the beginning that is so profound. Um, and what you said, Mario, if more of when, it's less money in my pocket. That's happening on a global basis and a scale that we have never seen as far as the drop in money in people's pockets. I mean, we had a big pump from the, all the liquidity pumping, and now it's dumping. So I look at this every day, and I try to really ignore the noise and the nuances, as what Gareth said, trader-focused. Having been there, done that, and having lost my hair trying to figure it out. So that's the macro. If you look at what the data we printed this week, you subtract out inflation, it's severely tr- sending towards recession. And the difference is most central banks are still hiking. In the macro, that's where it is. And the key thing is, will... Cryptos and Bitcoin provide us a leading indication of money leaving the system, and I'm still afraid it will be doing that. 
So I was uh, having a discussion with uh, my friend uh, Danish, who co-hosts the finance show. And I told him something. He's telling me how concerned he is and behind the scenes that people are more worried than, than what the markets show. And, uh, you know, I won't say what, what he told me. He can speak for himself. But I did speak to one of my, you know, close friends and a, and, a, and a private equity investor. And he said, Mario, it feels to me like pre-Lehman. So he was very bearish. He's like, I just the markets don't make sense because everyone's struggling with liquidity and everyone's worried. Everyone's pulling out of deals. Um, Eric, maybe you can give us a different take because it, it does look gloomy after Scott's positive uh, uh, sentiment uh, out of the East. I would love to get your thoughts on what Gareth talked about and what Mike especially talked about. And then give us uh, um, uh, your thoughts on the whole quad witching cycle uh, and crypto in general. Sure, yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting to hear a lot of this talk about markets making sense and news pieces and whatnot. And one thing that I think uh, you'll learn over time at some point is that markets never make fucking sense. They never do. You'll realize this is all a game. It's all a damn game. And the news does not drive the price on a day by day basis. It just justifies the reason why something moved despite the direction for the, you know, the general public who needs a logical reason as to why something moved. You know, you could have an earnings that, you know, exceeds expectations and they get slammed down and then people just justify it that, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was, it was bad for some reason. Um, it is not objective. That's my point. And what is objective is looking at price. That is why, you know, it's the great equalizer and it's derivatives. And that's why I use statistics. And what they say are right now with Bitcoin specifically is that we are at the quad witching. Um, that is today. That means that uh, you have a major expiration for index options, uh, equity options, and then futures and uh, and, and its and its index. Can you, as well. Eric, sorry, yeah. sorry to jump. Can you tell us more about quad witching? Because I was reading about it. It's I'm only telling you right now, bro. For the last three years. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So the quad witching is this: it is a major expiration. Happens four times a year, as the name would imply. It means that there are four major expirations happening. That's going to be. By the way, real quick, Eric. They yeah. now call it the triple witching because since 2020, one of those four events no longer happens. I don't know if you're aware of that, but we found that today. No, it's still a quad witching because what it actually refers to is uh, equity options, futures options, um, and then uh, and then futures and uh, and and it's equity options. Futures options, index options, and then yeah, that one as well. So no, it's still quad witching actually. Yeah, it, but um, but anyway, since, since I'm the only old, <laughs> just 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 to get the history right. Sorry guys, I mean I've been doing this since the '80s when it was triple witching. You know, before well before it, it's options on futures, options on stocks. Uh, it's futures expiration, and the one that is weird is it, options on individual stock futures or individual futures which comes and goes that that's what you guys are talking over but you know either way it's been a major feature of financial markets dating back since the 80s basically yes 100 and thank you for that david um or dave i should say uh yeah so that is today so it is a major um it, it's a major thing the reason why it's a major thing is because major uh equity managers you know Did Eric I lost him. Me? Yeah, oh, cool. I, I thought it was me. Um, I thought my, my headset melted in the sauna again. Um, but but while waiting for Eric, Scott, maybe you can tell us more about quad witching until Eric joins because you seem to understand it. Oh, I think Dave yeah, gave gave the proper explanation, and I just saw it in the research group that yeah, the, uh, it, it, tri triple it, witching. Yeah, let's. Uh, it's it's worth understanding. That the one thing I would say when, before Eric comes back is. When, Eric is back. These... Eric, jump okay, in. Jump just, right after, after Dave. Go ahead. Yeah. The one ahead, point Dave, to make about, about, about expirations are there's enormous pressure on managers that are using futures to back uh, assets to roll futures, meaning that, okay, September is expiring. I now need to roll to December. And when that variation uh, changes, it causes all sorts of issues. It's why the USO, uh, the, the oil, uh, ETF has underperformed by 90 plus percent since inception oil. It's because it costs a lot of money to roll. And it's why a lot of us are so aggravated with the stupidity of approving futures based Bitcoin ETFs and not spot because you you have that roll cost. So all the, the jiggering that goes on around expiration affects that roll cost. It affects what happens to investors. Anyway, sorry, Eric. Please, please uh, that continue. was beautiful. <laughs> that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so that is uh, that that is exactly uh, exactly true. And of course, 
the reason why it's important is because we can actually draw statistics for that. And for Bitcoin specifically, uh, I've measured out all of the past um, quad witching dates in September from the quad witching to the end of the month. Now, mo many people think that September is a bad month overall. In general, yeah, it is. It does close down. But what is missed within uh, what wh what's missed as a nuance there is that from that quad witching date to the end of September, that typically does close up as those big money managers do start to switch around and have to, you know, do whatever they're going to do. So for Bitcoin specifically, the average return um, has been a little over about five and a quarter uh, percent um, from that quad witching date to the end of the month. That put Bitcoin, you know, if, if, it, if it does something like that, somewhere around 27, low 27s, um, I think kind of best case scenario still in September and sets it up, you know, for potentially uh, continuation in October. I don't have strong opinions about that just yet, but I am waiting on one of my models right now, which is very close to firing off. I think it's about three days away, so it'll happen maybe on Monday if Bitcoin does remain above 26,200, it will. And it will suggest that there's an 80% probability or about an 80% probability of somewhere between about a 25 to 35% move um, in favor of the upside there. So I would really start to lean heavily into uh, that rally beginning, you know, in the end portion here of September, and then probably continuing into October if that's uh, if that far is off. Um, and the other question I want to ask you is, is coming from the audience, Eric, is the four-year cycle. Uh, let me read out the question exactly and, and give a shout-out to the uh, person with the handle. And I think we've discussed this um, in yesterday's show. That question comes from Make the World Triple Four. Can I ask the panel if they also see a four-year cycle in crypto down until December, March, and then the next bull, March, and then the next bull run? So we'll be going down from till about December to March, and then the next bull market will start slowly. Uh, personally, I, it's not something that, that I rely on or, or actually care about, but, um, to be fair, it hasn't failed yet. So if, you know, it, my general rules, if it hasn't failed, then don't discount it just yet. And uh, the question I have on there, another question is that, do we have enough, uh, data to, to come to conclusion? Like the four year cycle has only been happening for how many years? What, how many years has it been? Basically, the th I mean, if you're really looking at the data, this would basically be the third that's of, of any meaning. So, yes, you're looking at two. I told you yesterday that I, I was talking to Hasib Qureshi, who's CF here also, obviously, all the time, is one of the best guests. And he literally called it astrology uh, when I was sitting with him here in Singapore the other day. Called the four year cycle astrology, but then uh, yes, he said it's a complete joke. He was like, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." But then, but does it? It could be. It could be dumb until it's not. So what I mean, hey, I like the that... four year cycle. I, I'm actually yeah, yeah. a fan of the four year cycle. I, I agree with Eric. It's, you know, why? If it ain't why? Broke, don't try to fix it. So talk yeah, about it in a year. Yeah. So, so like my my thought is that even if it doesn't work, like at the end of the day, it could become. It is already a self fulfilling prophecy. It's like it's like everyone talks about it. So. Maybe it's not meant to work, but we make it work because we believe in it so much. Been happening so many times. So maybe it was coincidence, coincidence, partly coincidence, and now it's just everyone's gonna, you know, everyone's gonna make it happen because we believe it is gonna happen. Um, but uh, Mikkel and Joa, uh, go ahead, guys. Yeah, just a quick comment on the four-year theory. I think one of the biggest things we need to understand is like in the early days of crypto, right? These communities were very, very small, and thought leaders had a large influence on really how these markets were gonna play out. And because these communities were so small compared to the grand scheme of things, theories like the four-year cycle that everyone believed in and everyone looked to as fact had a large influence on the psyche of the market. Now, this can still keep going. And I think the speakers made some great points. Like, so far, it's been right. So you can't really discount it. I just think as larger money comes into this asset class, we're going to see this transition where we see crypto trade a lot more like a risk asset because that's how the big money looks at it. I think at the end of the day, markets are really controlled by perception and emotion. And if big money has the perception or the emotion that this asset class should be treated as risk on, I think that will be the kind of driving force behind these markets. And the four-year cycle will still have influence in the crypto community. But I think that kind of gets washed out by bigger money. You think bigger money doesn't care about the four-year cycle theory? I mean, I'm sure there are people at these institutions that do. It just seems to me at the end of the day, especially when we look at how the markets have been trading, these markets really are being treated as a risk-on asset class right now. And I think that's going to take precedent over the four-year cycle. So if we went into a really, really bad market, I just don't see any way the larger institutions are going to say, oh, despite the fact that the S&P 500 is down 50%, 
four-year cycle, so we have to start investing in crypto. I think they're going to look at it more as a risk-on asset class, and when they flee risky assets, they're also going to flee crypto. Um, Gareth, how did risk assets respond to yesterday's PPI data? Gareth, Mike, or Scott, anyone? Yeah, that was that was obviously a big update. That's the thing about this week. Everything was up. That's one thing I'm really concerned about. Even yields were up. <laughs> Cryptos were up. Um, crude oil's up. Stocks up. Everything's up. Um, and that's the point about this year. Everything is up together. That was down last year, except for in every all volatilities are down. And that's where I'm very concerned that it's all happening together, and it's all going to continue happening. Yeah, Mike, can, can so, I? Can, can yeah Gareth I'd like I'm gonna add a question to that initial question is that mm. look again I'm I'm the beginner here out of all of you are probably the least uh, you know the, the least knowledgeable when it comes to analyzing price and technical analysis but one thing I saw in, in during COVID is that the market started recovering really quickly and everyone's saying the market is broken the market is dumb and the market is just is just skyrocketing and everyone's saying how is the market is skyrocketing when we expect a great depression and the world's coming to an end and then what happens is that the market um, went down very quickly when COVID kicked in when they started getting the data and they started recovering in ahead again forward looking could it be that the markets run out of forward looking so that means we saw the correction that already factored in um the 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 the, the tightening that we've seen around the world and potentially the recession as well and now we're seeing they're already so that, that well we're going to be experiencing that soon but the market is already looking past that and looking at the recovery after that is that a possibility gareth yeah, it, there's no doubt it, it's part of it. But I think I think right now it's that narrative of of people are hearing more and more soft landing or no landing. Right. And and I think people are also saying, hey, listen, I'm watching a market that since October of 2022 with the stock market has has really rallied tremendously. And it there was a lot of money on the sidelines, a lot of people off sides. And so it's a chase for for alpha or a chase for return. And so people don't really I mean, when it comes to the stock market, the market doesn't focus necessarily always on the ultimate likely outcome. It's what's hot right now. Right. NVIDIA was hot for a while and you go back to other sectors. And so I think I think it's it's more emotion driven in the short term, which is what we're seeing here where people are like listen let's just get into this like like good example right oil i mean oil stocks have gone parabolic they were probably way under invested now you're seeing oil rip higher and everyone's climbing into those oil names and oil itself and oil right now just hit 91 dollars a barrel and if you look at 2008, and this is amazing, like go to the chart on 2008, oil ran up to $150 in spite of basically a great recession that occurred. And and obviously, once we really got in the weeds and everyone realized what was happening, then oil had this epic collapse from 150 down. And by the way, when we were at 150, and Mike, you probably remember this, but I vividly remember we were at like 145 on oil and Goldman Sachs comes out and upgrades it to $200 a barrel. And that was the top. Yep. Right. I mean, so so it's just showing you again that that even these big firms, I don't know if there's ulterior motives, but but they're not always right. That, that's uh, Garrett. That's classic. What you just said. And it's the lessons of Benjamin Disraeli, what we most anticipate seldom happens. And that's what you typically need at peaks and bottoms. And that's what happened last year in Corel was gone from 150. Obviously, I was early. Obviously, I was wrong. The low this year is 63. <laughs> and yes, so someone was giving me a hard time yesterday. I called them for 50. I still think it's going to go to 50 in a normal global recession, which hadn't even started. But that's where, as traders, I really respect your trading instincts. You picked it out. You see the headlines. And you realize that these things are clickbait. Every time you see that, that's someone writing a story to get readership because that's what they get. And we just saw a big extreme of that this week. We have managed money net positions in Corel pretty high, pretty elevated. And we see all these little, you know, these the headlines about bouncing crude oil, but it's getting zero endorsement from the most significant metal in terms of industrial production. Copper is not going up. In fact, it's down, and almost down in the year. Corn's not going up. The base metals are not going up. It's showing the very similar signals to what you pointed out in 2008. But to show you the significant deflationary forces from commodities, that peak was 145. Last year's peak was 130. And right now we're talking about 91. I don't know about you, but in terms of the way I look at markets, that's a bear market that just keeps trying. Lower highs. There you go, lower highs. Yeah. And the low was last in 2020 was minus 46. So, you know, so I look at that as this is a good sign of you get those little extremes. And I, I this is why I point out the risk for me, crude oil, is if it keeps going up, it's just worse for everybody. It takes money out of anybody's pockets. It makes central banks tight. It's worse. It's psychologically really bad. 
and it almost always rotates back down and gets really cheap. It just hasn't gotten really cheap yet. It's getting expensive here. Mike, we keep talking about taking money out of everybody's pocket. Obviously, consumer data, when you start to dig in, is uh, pretty brutal. Obviously, credit card debt at yeah. extreme highs, savings at extreme lows. You can see the title here, Macro Analyst, The Market Pivots in October. It's an oddly specific date. The reason that that was chosen was because there was a thread about effectively how student loan debt payments are coming back in October. And people haven't been having to make student loan payments since uh, 2020, obviously, since they were uh, since since COVID. And now those student loan payments are coming back. Is that another, you know, I love to use your own terminology, but is that another uh, tree in the forest? Or is this a a meaningful? No, I think it's a big tree in the forest. I'm glad you brought it up because and Gareth brought brought back memories of I remember seeing retail gasoline hit four dollars a gallon in 2008. And I got so bearish way too early 2007. Like Michael Burry, I read, I mean, I was trading, I had shorts on, and I crushed it in 2008, but it was really tough being early and wrong. But then when you see that, you see what's happening, and almost always the key thing is remember, remember where you're from. We just start coming in the back of people were flushed with so much money and so much liquidity. There is no precedent for that. And now it's being taken away, it's still early days. But you see that in retail sales. Like, you know, I, I, Dave, um, I like to point out retail sales, in, and that is it's negative in terms of inflation. And then you look at PPI. It's still negative, and it's actually in terms of Fed funds. It's well below Fed funds. I look at what hap- what's happening in Europe, and same thing. In China, it's global this time. And the point, the big difference is we're still taking that liquidity away. So I think we're in early days of your typical consumer saying, uh-oh, I got a problem. And the great resignation, it's just normal cycles. The great resignation is going to ro- rotate over to, darn, I need a job because I just don't have that money I used to. And the bottom line to really take money out of people, people's pockets is when, and I didn't say if, the stock market goes down for a typical recession, which is just a matter of time. If you look at what the Fed did and what ECB, they keep hiking rates. They are expecting that recession. They are pricing, they are expecting unemployment to go up. And if it doesn't, they just keep hiking rates. Yeah, there's a couple points here, but they all boil down to a simple thesis. And it's one that in the crypto community will resonate. Uh, markets are much more manipulated today than they were for any at any point in my unfortunately talking, fairly long Dave, career. Dave, you talking about crypto or markets in general? Oh, I'm talking about the big markets. I'm talking about markets with an M, the S&P, uh, treasuries, oil. I mean, I just dug up a chart this morning, which is it, which I think is fascinating. Uh, look at the crude oil, the strategic petroleum reserve. And what you see is this little rally in oil almost perfectly coincides with slight attempts to start trying to buy little bits. It bottomed. You know, I'm here and there. It looks like it bought stocks bottomed on July 7th at 346 million left out of, I mean, it used to be 650, right? Because we all know that this administration's best anti inflation fighting tool isn't the Fed. It was uh, dumping this, it was, you know, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to bring the price of oil down. And as it's up just like 4 million barrels or 4.5 million barrels, uh, you know, have been bought back since then. And during that same period of time is when we saw this little this little rally in oil price. In general, Mike is right for sure in terms of disinflation in you know because of technology and commodities. But it's impossible to ignore the manipulation of the oil market by the use of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to try to control inflation in this country any more than it's impossible to ignore yield curve control in Japan and what I believe is going on here, uh, although in a slightly less obvious fashion. Because the last piece of information for manipulation is the federal government absolutely cannot afford long rates to go up to be at a, a typical 1% to 2% above short rates. If we had 7% long rates right now, the federal government deficit, the, the budget, would literally be 100%. Uh, you know, you'd have no room for any discretionary spending. I mean, arguably, you don't have room for discretionary spending at all now if you take into account entitlements and, and, and spending on this. Forget the military. I mean, literally, no structural way. And that deficit is extremely important when you look at the macro. Um, I want to go to Joa. I'm not sure if you're still on stage, Joa. Um, get your thoughts on everything yeah. that's been talked about so far. 
Um, and then going back to the original question that I had is that 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 disconnect between the east and the west and then the metrics that we've seen or been talking about is like because there's some good things we're talking about all the positive news when it comes to crypto and then we're talking about the VC funding at all-time lows and the outflows and and, and just the numbers are not adding up um, when you compare them to the news that we're seeing yeah I mean just to go back to what was originally spoke about about the four year cycle it's four year cycle is different than the pie cycle, which the pie cycle has always called the top. The four year cycle does not call the bottom right so the statement that you know Bitcoin will continue to go down until we have a halving that's not true it it's the the beginning of the halving is never the bottom of of the Bitcoin cycle, so it doesn't mean that we're going to keep going down until until the halving. Uh, we could go sideways, we could go down, we could go up. Uh, and traditionally, as we get closer, it begins to go up. Uh, traditionally, um, this to me feels like 2016, where we were up 100% then, but it was a grind. And everyone was saying that, you know, Bitcoin's done. And then we we had a huge run up to 3000 or 4000 or whatever it was. Um, it, you know, it's... I think people in the East and the West look at Bitcoin as look at it very, very differently. Right. Um, people in the West look at it as pure speculation. People in the East um, do look at it as speculation, but also the fact that you have countries, for example, in the Middle East, like you have Turkey, where 40 percent of people hold Bitcoin. Um uh, And I know they also hold stables, but Bitcoin yeah, typically it. stables me- the way they get in. Yeah, and, and Lira, I think, is the most traded currency on Binance, by the way. I read that today. The Turkish Lira. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it's, it's, it's huge. The Turkish market is huge. And more and more countries that face economic collapse go to, go to the dollar. Other countries that are around those countries begin to speculate on their currency. They know where it's going. I look at it the same way I looked at Amazon when they were adding millions of users and they went from 120 to $5 while they were still signing up millions of users, right? Price is the wrong way to look at things. Look at what's being developed. Look at what's being built. Um, and you grind it out until the market turns around. I don't agree with the fact that if we have a recession, this is going to go down. I think the dollar is at its upper limit of where it could be. Every time the dollar comes down, Bitcoin seems to go up. That's been happening since 2008. Um, if the dollar value starts to drop, I expect a rise in, in Bitcoin. Can the dollar continue to go up right now? Yes. But is there a lot of room to keep going up? I don't believe there is. And I think if there's a recession, we're also going to have a weaker dollar. And that's going to help Bitcoin. Although, traditionally speaking, it doesn't make sense because if you have a recession, there's less money uh, going into a, a risk on asset. But that's not what I'm seeing everywhere else in the world except US. That's why I'm... I'm I have a bit of a different sentiment here. By the way, just on the news that I mentioned, uh, Scott, did you see that? That the lira, the Turkish lira has emerged as the largest fiat trading pair on Binance by a pretty wide margin, accounting for 75% share of all fiat volume in early September. That doesn't make yeah. sense. That, 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 that shift that, started that in high. 2021. That, yeah, it that, seems that very, seems, very, I'll seems send you through high, the source. But Right. But I can tell you that um, anecdotally, you know, obviously I'm at a crypto conference. I've met with almost every exchange. I spent the day at the OKX office. And interestingly, at the OKX office, I met five different people that came in today who were visiting Token 2049. who were some sort of partner there from Turkey. And the prevailing narrative was that I can't tell you it's 75 percent that the volumes are up from Turkey massively and to some degree are helping to carry these exchanges through this low liquidity and, and low volume time. And I heard that multiple times from multiple people at multiple exchanges. But I, I don't let think me, that that's necessarily the, because it's, people... It's not the just source, Turkey. The source, guys, just quickly, the source is Kaiko Data, just so you, everyone knows. K-A-I-K-O Data, I've sent you to you, Scott. But that 75% sounds, sounds extremely high. Extremely high. Sounds yeah, high. Yeah. I, I, I'd be surprised. But we've had CZ say many, many times in the past, actually, um, that the bulk, not necessarily the bulk of volume, but certainly the bulk of users on Binance are people in countries that don't necessarily have access to banking systems who are effectively using Binance as their bank account, right? I'm not saying that that's smart or is a good or a bad idea, but he said that, you know, we have these massive numbers of users, but millions of them, millions and millions and millions of them are in countries 
like a turkey or somewhere like that and have, you know, $10, $15 accounts and they're sending each other a couple bucks here and there for jobs that they're doing. And, and, and that's really where a lot of that volume's coming from. It has nothing to tra- do with trading and nothing to do with derivatives. And I think that speaks, obviously, to the theoretical promise of crypto in general access for people who, who don't have banks or, or, or are underbanked. But I'm still, I, I mean, there's just no way that 75% of all spot volume on Binance is coming from Turkey. Yeah, if anyone anyone that has more information on this, please do DM it to me if it's if you think it's right or wrong. Um, but the data, you know, again, I, I can post it. I can post similar web if you want, Mario, which shows the traffic sources to these sites, and you'll see Turkey. Turkey's consistently up high, and there's other ones like Brazil. Uh, Ran, I know one of Ran's colleagues that's living in in Portugal. You know, same thing. You're seeing it in Nigeria as well. Like people are using this as their bank account. Because uh, they're fleeing their 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 financial systems, um, but I can post it in that in the nest if you want me to. Yeah, I'm gonna send you through. Let me send you through the link again, uh, Joa, because that again, I, I know we, I'm sticking a bit too long on on this particular point, but that's just just fast. We keep talking about US, 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 and is but here's Turkey. So all trading pairs with fiat with, um, with fiat as base quote asset. So number one is the Turkish lira. Number two is the euro. Obviously, US dollar is not. This is Binance International, I assume. Um, number two is the Turkey, the the BRL. No, sorry. Number two is Euro. Then you have the BRL. Uh, what's the BRL? The anyone? Brazilian. 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 Yeah, Brazilian. Yeah, exactly. Brazilian real. Like I was yeah, just Brazil. That, exactly. That highlights your point. But it's much lower though. Brazilian real is below ten percent. Euro is below twenty percent, and then all remaining, all seven others are uh, are at. Um, I don't know, Scott. Like if you if you consider that. Yeah, look. That, that, I mean, there's a there's the there is the chance. I mean, all of this data seems anecdotal, so I, I'm yet to see it. We've heard people come on this show repeatedly and say, you know, Binance's share of global spot trading is down from 80 percent to 30 percent. I also haven't seen that vetted, and I'm not sure that I necessarily believe that. But if their derivatives volume is still exceptionally high, but they're seeing a massive decrease in spot volume, which the market is in general, then perhaps you're seeing sort of an inflated temporary number uh, where the Turkish lira is that large percentage. It just seems very shocking to me. It could, anything's possible. It just seems... Just a, seems a little context really of Turkish. Turkey, a major gold culture in Turkey, like India, like China, the Turkish lira in the last 10 years has dropped 93% versus the U.S. dollar. It's one of those classic countries where the currency is melting like most countries. And they almost always have gold biases for obvious reasons. And what are they doing? They're getting tilting that over to Bitcoin. It makes complete sense. But I need to tilt a little bit over to what Jonas said about the dollar upper limit. There's a problem. And that's part of the issue with the dollar upper limit. If you look at the U.S., economy versus the other top three countries in the world, China, Japan, and Germany, our five-year, our two-year note yields, our, our base rates are about double um, and more than four to five times what's happening in Japan. So that's a huge, a huge ta- um, underpinning for the dollar. And typically what it takes for the dollar to go down is the U.S. stock market to go down to underperform the rest of the world. So there's part of your lose-lose risk assets. Strong dollar is breaking things. Everybody's catching up. They have to raise rates or go to gold or something. And what's going to break the dollar? Those rates, that's the part. It's just shocking. The rates are so much higher than China. We have the, the spread between China two notes and the U.S. at 300 base points is the most since 2006. And that's just accidents waiting to happen. So what is it usually take? Like I said, you have to have risk assets in the U.S. go down to make for a weak dollar. And I, this question of what's going to lead that. Um, Eric, can I ask you a separate question? Eric, you there? Just confirming you there. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, how would a recovery look like? How how do you think the next bull market is going to compare to the last one and the one before? <laughs> what do you mean recovery? <laughs> so when we start hitting all-time highs, how do you think the market? So what would you say about uh, VC funding? Um, different sectors of crypto when it comes to NFTs, when it comes to you know gaming projects, different narratives, the whole meme coin hype and all the, the dirty side we've seen. Do you think it will be more regulated uh, than the last two cycles? 
to be honest, I don't look at any of that garbage. I'm mostly focused on Bitcoin and uh, the major indices. Um, so I don't know. Uh, as far as my opinion on markets, um, I think that they have already bottomed. As I said uh, a few times ago, we're in a trans market right now. It's going from bear market to bull market. It's not a bull market yet. Um, as far as the timing of that, again, uh, last month in August for traditional markets, there was a very... Um, very, very important thing that happens uh, where we did see the, the McClellan oscillator, which is a market breadth indicator, um, basically hit extreme, extreme red levels, which if you actually go through the data for the past 20 years, and I would like to go back further, but it's actually unavailable, unfortunately. Uh, but if you go back for the past 20 years, and you go into the middle of August, um, every time before an election year, there were neg major negative reads, like extreme, extreme negative reads on the McClellan oscillator in August in that pre-election year. And within about a year from there, new all-time highs were hit. So um, if I'm going off of that, I'd say that that would you know, likely indicate that we're probably going to see new all-time highs in traditional markets uh, you know, within the next year. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, it's going to be significantly new all-time highs. It could be like 2007, where it makes marginally new all-time highs and then dumps to hell. I don't know. But, uh, but that's what I'd be going off of. That is the specific question. Uh, same question, Joe. Scott, and ask you that same question. How do you think the next market would look like, Scott? I know your answer because we and you and Ryan have discussed this before, but uh, it'd be good to hear it again for the audience. Uh, and Joe, crypto specifically, just to, yes. just to be clear. Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, humans are going to human, and that everyone thinks that there will be this muted version of it. And I can't say that perhaps I don't think Bitcoin will do seventeen X's again like it did in the past. But I think that uh, people in this market will find a new and creative way to uh, create memes and silly things out of air and vaporware and to pump them 100x and make a ton of money. So I think that uh, we'll see very similar uh, behaviors whenever that cycle does start again. And I do think that another massive bull market is inevitable. I'm just hesitant to uh, call the timing for all the reasons that you know Mike and Gareth and, and others have pointed out here. Um, but uh, I, you know, once again, it's, it's I, I keep saying it, but being somewhere like this and seeing how much money is still being poured into these projects, listen, maybe that's a signal that there's a, still a, a, a lot to be, to be uh, cleared out, like Mike sort of hinted at earlier. But uh, I really do think that we're still in the very, very early days of crypto and that things are only going to grow with time, but uh, it's going to take time. But yeah, I think we're going to see a massive, massive future cycle. And uh, before going to Joe, just for the audience, I've pinned at the top, if you go on the top, the uh, so the biggest show on crypto is they've put out their trailer. Uh, me and Ryan are judging there. Scott will probably be there the next uh, the next season. Um, but I think you're going to be pretty impressed by the production quality of the show. You know, spent a lot of money. It's a Shark Tank-like show. So I've pinned their tweet above, and I'll retweet it on my account. You can go back to yesterday's tweets on my account. You can see it there if you're going to check later. But make sure you check it out. I think you'll find the trailer very entertaining. Joe, as we wrap up the show, you did send me a screenshot showing the traffic to Binance. And you said Turkey's part of the top three. Fair point. But then again, it's only at 5%. Russia's at 6.9, so 7%. Argentina's about 6.5. Turkey's about 5. So while it, it, it's saying it's in the top three is good, um, it's also a very small percentage to account to 75%. It's pretty pretty wild i'm not saying it's not accurate i'm sure they, the guy moved, is the sources they moved to the app though mario like going to the actual site like directly to the home page which is what you can measure is typically a portion of that can gets converted into accounts going into your account or going into the app is not counted there so you won't see so the fact that they're constantly in the top three for you know two years now shows how many people they're getting from Turkey. It doesn't show how many Turkish people are using it as active users. So there's going to be a difference there. Cool, man. And then asking you last question, and, and as I wrap up the show, just want to tell the audience, if you do want to come on the show, um, we should probably bring up the, uh, the, uh, the, the logo. The crypto town hall logo no one joined today but if you do want to join the show uh, as a sponsor we, we're going to be accepting sponsors again or partners again next week um when scott and ran are back back to the us and we also have uh, you know very soon we're going to be launching our own shark tank show and uh, me ran scott and scaramucci um which will be virtual so if you want to bring your project and pitch uh, hit us up as well just dm me scott or ran um, and we can organize it for you um but uh, joe i just got a final question for you how do you see the next uh, bull market my friend yeah, it's going to sound weird coming from someone who's typically bullish here, which is 
I think we're going to have the first bull market in a recession for bull market in crypto during a recession. I don't think we break a hundred. I think we get close because of that. I think it'll be driven a lot by other countries. Uh, I think institutions will take up a lot of it. Um, but I don't think we're going to have, you know, like, like uh, Scott was saying, we're not going to have this crazy run up like we've had in the past. I don't see it. I, I don't think that comes until the fact institutions are in and things start to become very real. Um, although I'm bullish, I don't see us breaking. I think we stop getting the huge moves on altcoins when the things become real, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, it's, very it's true. The Good very point. Fact that it's not real yet that people can uh, continue to run it up in the way that they do for better or for worse. And yeah, then Frentech, and and then uh, Scott's Frentech account will blow up as he posts more uh, foot picks. Foot picks. Um, so that's Nothing that's how foot the picks. the bull market the bull market would be Scott <laughs> expanding from foot picks to all picks. <laughs> if you get enough keys, <laughs> you, get, you get a pick of anything. You know, get ten keys, I'll give you any knees. pick you like. These <laughs> <It is> knees. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do, you th- do you think we break a hundred, Scott? Your opinion? Uh yeah. But uh, but but you know if you do the math on previous cycles you have to be thinking that Bitcoin is going the two mid twos threes fours fives right I mean March 2020 if you're considering that sort of the the bottom of that cycle given it was COVID I mean, Bitcoin went sub four thousand and ended up at sixty nine k right it's a seventeen x uh, we if we call fifteen here the bottom I'm not saying it will or won't be but you know if we think fifteen is the bottom. Start doing that math. You're well, you know, you're well up into the twos and three hundreds. I think it's more of a, you know, hundred twenty, hundred fifty type thing if all goes well. So I'd, I'd be really happy with that. I hate making predictions. The good news is these are far enough out that maybe people won't dig up Twitter Spaces and dunk on me in a year when we're sitting at like sixty thousand. Um, but yeah, I think it's very possible that we still go above hundred. I mean, just think, even if we just get the ETF, but take COVID out of it. Take COVID out of yeah, but, but COVID's irrelevant. Yeah, this, the, the low of that cycle was still that low, if you remember, right? You you had yeah, the lows right, of the right. previous year. It was yeah, 19. we revisited. We revisited yeah. the low. Correct. So the low is still in that case, and this is something we saw in the other four year cycle, four years before. But the low was thirty two ish, right? It ran all the way up to fourteen, and then revisited sub four thousand at like thirty eight, made a slightly higher low, and went all the way up. Generally, in this sort of choppy time in the third year of that four-year cycle if you believe in it you do eventually get that and you know ben cowan comes and talks about it quite a lot but you do generally get that one more big shakeup, right make a higher low and, and head all the way up that's something we've seen in every cycle not saying it has to happen i think that you know 25 could be that right um and so uh yeah i think that uh from here we'll still chop around it'll be probably very boring and if i had to guess just based on what we've seen in a year we're starting to talk about higher prices and in 2025 we're uh, completely irrationally exuberant and talking about a million dollars again uh, right before everything crashes and we wait two and a half more years on that point uh, i think it's a great show appreciate you all doing it scott i appreciate you sneaking it in i know you were the grand prix um and uh, we'll see you all again on uh, monday 10 15 a.m And uh, make sure you check out the trailer pinned above and I've tweeted it out as well. Uh, Enjoy the trailer and we'll see you all again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for the panel. Bye, guys.